Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now here's your host for this week, Kep Crab. Welcome everybody to Larger Stories Podcast, Relational Spirituality, where you can belong, you can become, and you can be known. I'm your host, Kep Crab, and I'm joined today by a good friend who I've known for a long time, who most would say was my father's best friend. Uh, Trip Moore is joining me today. Trip, thanks for joining me, brother. Good to meet you. <laughs> it's good to see you. I love to have these conversations because in the last few years since dad's been gone, you've, you and I've had a few conversations that have been really impacting to me. And, and, and I think a lot of what we're trying to do with these podcasts are what does it look like to talk to someone in a way that allows the spirit in you and the spirit in me to connect where we really do have some change. You're a person who actually has been through the SD. How many times trip? Oof, I'd have to go back and count, but I think the first 50 some odd, so there were four years, so that was, yeah. You sat in on all that material with dad, and I know some of you people who are watching probably don't know what we're talking about when I say the SD. It's actually the School of Spiritual Direction, which was put on by my father, Larry Crabb, years ago. He did, I think, 77 or 78 schools. That also then transformed into a next step school. This was a real week, a week-long, intense time of community. And Trip, you were involved with, you said, 50 plus, the first 50 plus. Tell me about what it was like being a part of that. It was one of the most life-changing things. In my life. It had a whole impact on where I'm at today. I think um, it was fun because I got to be there. We were starting to even plan how to do it. And once we did this, and it was and one of the neat things about us from and then Larry wrote this manual, spent a lot of time, went to Florida and worked on that. But I think the neat thing was, is that we never had to adjust almost anything from what we came up with for all those years that the pattern, the program we put out there. And I have to admit that it was, there were usually maximum of 20. We cheated some and a few more at some points, but it was exceptional that anybody did, went away, didn't go away, just totally blown, just launched into something so exciting. Many came back over the years, repeated it. Tons of them went to the next step. But it was just life. It was a life-changing weekend. It really, we were very aware from the beginning, this is something God is doing. This isn't something we're pulling off. But it was exciting to be there every time because we knew we'd seen it happen, what God would do in different people's lives. I remember chatting with Dad probably after the first, I don't know, 30, 40 of them. And you guys would be having lunch after the week-long event. And it, I would always just say to him, how was it? He said, it was the best one ever. They're, every single time. Every single time. It was just one of those things. And he would often say about the schools of spiritual direction, those were the most ordained things that he was ever a part of or ever had a chance to think through. And so it's so fun to chat with you because I'm wondering, how are you different, bro? How are you different after having sat through 50 plus of those? I'll tell you, I have to admit that it, it's totally radicalized my life. It makes it somewhat uncomfortable because in the first, I sat there for the first one and the first time he breaks out the seven questions of spiritual branch. Oh, I forgot what the word is. 
theology. Yeah, spiritual theology. And but I so I listened and I followed along. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Who is God? And it was, was very but it was relational and it became a story as opposed to systematic theology, where it's cutting the truth into little pieces. And had I gone away after a week, I'm pretty sure I would be nowhere close to where I am today. Because I got it. I thought that's neat. That's, that's clever. That makes sense. The questions God has chosen to respond to as opposed to the questions we're asking. But as the decades went on, it just started, I started realizing this is a pathway into the God's heart. This is really exciting stuff. And I forget because at one point we had all the elders from our church go one at a time to those in Colorado. And again, just the one week by itself, it's great. It's wonderful. But even Dallas Seminary had him do it and put it into a very short thing and put a booklet out that they sent to every grad from their right. program over the years. But it really has. And the different questions, I think the first question caught my attention the most, who is God? And whereas we say we're Trinitarian, but we don't live as if we're Trinitarian. And one, I can't remember his name, Delsheimer or something, some missionary said, if the Holy Spirit, we found out he didn't exist, that would probably have changed very little of any of our church services on Sunday. Wow. But the fun thing is that first book is what Larry had been, he got me into reading the Communion with God by John Owen back in the 1600s. And it's yes. this thick book. And it's in old English, but I was able to pick it up along the way. But that consumed me for a number of years, just the, the relational aspect of the Trinity. But I have to admit that I think that in the last few years, the second question is the one that's really gripping me, is that what is God up to? What is, where is that passion that is in them moving us toward? What is this goal this, that he's pursuing that I really come to believe that I don't think many Christians have any idea what it is? And I don't want to sound pretentious, it's just that I've sat on it for so long, and, and the Lord has opened up scriptures in a way that has just revealed that this is the cent central passion of his heart. It's what's behind the whole thing. And yeah. to the degree we as kids don't understand and see that, we're missing the best part of it, because that means meeting him at the level of his heart passion. And I think he wants us to share that. Yeah. Trip, I've known you for 30 plus years. You and I had a chance to work together with New Way Ministries for different conferences and different things that we were creating and doing. And I think that in just looking at you now and the, some of the conversations that we've had in the last couple of years, even since dad's been gone, you just have a real gentle tenderness to you that's more, that seems to me. And you're, it's, and I know there's, there's this real change in respect to what's going on. How you relate to people seems better. Something's different. Yeah, my flesh is still my flesh, and when it comes out, it isn't pretty. <laughs> it it, it never is, that. right? <laughs> no, it never is. Some people like to define me by that and hold on to that, but yeah, I've, I've seen it change. The God is winning. The Lord is winning my heart in a way that's just—it's just—I don't. You know, it's hard to put words to it. It just has a tenderness to it and a yes. passion. I see it, bro. I see it. Yeah. It's funny because I think you've, as you get older. You sometimes tend to go a couple of different ways, but with the tenderness comes out. I think I saw some of that in dad as well. He just, and really more focused. I think the one thing that I'm really starting to take away from pop's death was the whole thought of what's happening after this life mm, yeah. and how, and you and I talked at one point, I remember we were having dinner one time, I think this was last March. And I said to you, how can we take what you know 
and give it to someone my age, a, a mid 50 year old guy from a mid 70 year old guy. And then how can I take that and give it to someone who's 35 years old or maybe 25 years old? And you said, I don't know if it's possible because it just requires experiences, actually, I think what you said. And what I'd say now in response to what you're saying just popped into my head. Yeah. But I do think it's possible. And God even planned and predestined a context where we this would become our what moves us and drives us. And it's called the local church. And the problem is in the local church, we don't have much of an idea of what he's up. We don't know what we have. We're not seeing what I think that the seven questions reveal very clearly. And had I not known and seen a church, a local church that started in Winona Lake, Indiana, about the year that I was leaving to go back to Canada after the master's and the internship. And this was a church that was built on these seven questions. At high school graduation, the graduates could get up and talk about on for an hour about any one of the seven questions. Yeah. And not only did they have it in their heads, but it was being lived out. And I was always so frustrated because I said, it looks so good on paper. I love Ephesians. It looks so good on paper. <laughs> yeah. We've never seen it lived out. So we spent, I think, six weeks when we were on back on a sabbatical from our mission in Belgium. We spent six weeks, and I don't know if it was four, I don't even remember, but it was being lived out. And I said, there it is. There's Ephesians off the page. Yes. And it was so exciting. So I knew, and had I not seen that, I just am so glad I have at least one experience and maybe... The Lord would say that you should see all the millions of places I'm doing that, but I know a whole lot of places that aren't because I traveled with your dad and we visited cities from Alaska to Florida, churches to Europe to uh, yeah everywhere. Europe and it's just I do think it's the best kept secret and the devil is succeeding in keeping because all the other stuff is really nice, but without understanding the relational aspect and especially the goal he's moving towards, how can we passionately involve? ourselves in a project if we don't really even know what it is and if we simply think it's getting into heaven and preserving our ticket which is well preserved you know what i'm saying unpack that more you talk about the goal the desire of relationality now what do you think in respect to that it comes back to the whole idea of wanting to see us become little christs wanting to yeah. see christ formed in us and to see that lived out. And so the beauty of the sun has expanded in reality and will be fully expanded in eternity. By the way, we relate and love and express who he is. But that does not happen by magic. And this is the part that kind of the glory part. I've always said there are the heights and the depths of this story. And the heights are what God is shooting for. And the depths are what we are as we walk into the story by the yeah. fall. Yeah. And I do believe that there is a supernatural power in what God conceives of how Christians are supposed to be transformed in the local church. Yeah. And the methods that most local churches take is not that method. It's not that path. It's very different. Yeah. I think it's getting caught up with. And also it means you have to face the ugliness of your natural man, the way you've learned to survive without God, which is what every man and woman comes into this world where you found what we have found ways to survive by either being really nice or being really mean. But, and to the degree we don't see that, you can't put to death, like Paul says in Romans 8, Romans 8, the deeds of the flesh. you know. And then oftentimes they've almost become Christianized, depending, I'm fortunate enough, that my stuff is so blatant, it could never fit into the church. <laughs> and I'm glad, because it, it forced me to say, what am I going to do with this? There's something yeah. contrary in me that's powerful. 
what would you say just off the top of your head? What would you say Judy would say in terms of how you're different now? Just from the and she's watched the whole process. I know when you and when you and dad first met, it was under the auspice of him counseling you and Judy in some pretty pretty deep waters and marital struggles. Well, we'd be married for a year and a half and separated for six months. Imagine. And yeah, and had no hope. So it's true. That's where and yeah. I, don't, I think I do think she's sitting in the next room, but I'm thinking that I think she sees something and I think she sees something that's competing with my flesh, which is what this, when you get caught up with what the Lord's future goal is, and it involves in what he's making us into when we get caught up in that there is something that begins to compete with the ugliness of the flesh, no matter how strong it is. And I think she sees me in that process. When the ugliness comes out, it's consistently in it right up to the end. It will always, the flesh is always yeah. ugly, self-centered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I've got this plan. But I think she'd see something. I see a tenderness in her, in my regard, that is growing, which I really enjoy and appreciate too. Yeah. Tell me what you miss most about dad being gone. Oof. It's, it's a strange thing. And you said you imagined what he's doing. And I, my image is ever since the day he died, I worked in a bank. My family had banks. And so we had these big vaults at the end of the day. You'd shut them and put the timer on. And it almost felt like the big vault door closed and it's impenetrable and it's metal this thick. And I, I assume he's having a good time. I wonder, I don't know, but it's just, it's the conversations. We just stimulated each other like he did with so many other of our friends. But the conversations that we had and um, we like when the Owens book launched us into something, then it spread through Kent and all these other people. And we were thinking and throwing thoughts in. And and then we got more into the whole idea of what does the change process look like? And I'm finding myself rambling now and losing my life train of thought. No, that's okay, man. I just, as you think about dad, I was talking to someone the other day and I just was was thinking, what do, what do you miss? Not most, I don't think that's probably a fair question, but what do you miss just because as you think, I love your thought too, of what is he doing now? I got to be honest with you, bro. I think about that all the time. What is dad doing right now? And see, I, uh, don't, I can't go anywhere with that. And I can't go anywhere with it either, but it just excites me to think that he's doing something. Oh, he's yeah. chatting with Paul, he's chatting with Jesus, he's chatting with his dad, his brother. Different. Oh yeah, exactly. I'd like to be able to go there more. I think it's exactly what's happening. I think so too. Um, and Just I think what, what most, though, I don't think it, obviously that I, one of his favorite statements was nothing transforms us more than looking bad in the presence of love, which is what grace is, what the gospel is. Yeah. And I have never tasted that anywhere in the way I tasted it with your dad. Yeah. Um, I talked to him. I'm sorry. We both had we both have secrets that we've never told anyone else, and we both bear each other's secrets. And it's just there there is there was a transforming part and the ability to not show up. There was a time when your dad was this is a funny story, but he really was, he had a quick mind and he could see stuff. He was <laughs> he was very quick and he could yes. pick stuff up in five seconds almost. He was uh, to the degree that one time that when we were having one of the SSDs at the school, there were a bunch of profs from seminary. What was that seminary we went to? Grace. The Grace. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. And they were his friends. These were good friends, like Smith, and I can't remember the yeah. other. But they took him out for lunch and called him up on the fact that 
he was depending a whole lot on his clever mind to see things and picking up and maybe enjoying it a little too much. Wow. What? I mean, and, and because it was a powerful tool, but it was also effective because he did see clearly and needed a whole lot of change. And I saw, I remember once we were having a conversation, I remember where I was sitting in my old house and he started off in a direction. I said, Larry, you just put your white coat on. Yeah. You know? I remember. And he said, you're right. And because, but it was deeper than his quick mind. It didn't, it did, the Lord used his mind, but his heart yeah. and his honesty before God, that guy struggled before God in ways I think very few people do. Partly because he was really messed up more than people knew. See, that's the good part. Us messed we up. We all are, bro. We all are, but not everybody knows it. A whole lot of Christians, we were raised well. We learned how to live. We had this culture. I didn't have that. Thank goodness I was raised. I wouldn't, I, mean, I shouldn't say that publicly, but I was really glad I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Partially <laughs> because my home was so crazy that if they'd mixed God into that, I would probably had to push him out with all I of that. I get you. Yeah. Knowing some um, of your backstory. I think, I think that being messed up in ways that you cannot mask it or get rid of it is an advantage. And your dad was like that. And no one would have thought that, but it's true. He was messed up too. But he got into the relational details. It wasn't just the big messed up itness. It was the so it was a privilege to see the truth that was being taught lived out in the relationship. And we had moments where we would be yelling at each other. Those were rare moments where I'd just break into tears because I thought he was mad at me or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a gift, but it just when you your first your question is what's it like? It's just boom. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking forward to reconnecting. I bet you are, man. That's you, you, some of the stories you tell me remind me of the stories. And some of us, some of you watching today even know that the ones where dad, even as a young counselor, used to be called Zorro because he would just get in there and just tear people up. And he'd think of, he would say, I'd think of 10 things to say to this person. And I'd say 11 of them. Yeah. And then in later, later years, he would say, I would think of 10 things to say. And I might say one. And I remember hearing that, and that really impacted me. And in, in what does it mean to really listen well? And I think that's something, too, Trip, that you've been able to do better through having experienced the SSDs over and over again as you sat with people as a spiritual director who were being paid to listen well. Yeah. Uh, and it, and, but yet it becomes like what you and I have said before, and this is what I want to get at is, how does it become part of you like that? Because now it's becoming part of who you are. It's now, you're, like you said, Judy can really see that flesh spirit battle going on because the spirit is fighting mm. and the flesh is fighting too, but the mm. spirit's going to win this one. Yeah. And I love that. And yeah. And I thought I heard a question, but I missed it. Just as we think about what dad did and going through 50 of those oh, yeah. time, how are you listen better. Yeah, you do. And you'd also discover the enjeu in French, the <laughs> inner workings that are going on in the flesh. And if you can't understand, see the flesh, because this whole idea, the, the pastor yeah, that is a really good preacher who walks off the stage so full every Sunday and it has nothing to do with God, but it's because he's got, that can be his flesh. It's not always his flesh or pastor's flesh, but it's that subtlety there. Um, and I saw your dad grow into that subtlety, and I'm growing into it too. And he always used to say, your big, ugly battles aren't your worst problem. 
in other words, if you struggle with different things, I don't know, pornography or whatever, and but those that's not your worst problem. It's much more relational. It's much more how what's going on with you and your closest relationships, your wife. And to see that fleshed out, and I was a privileged man to be able to, when I saw his foibles, as he probably saw I had a few foibles too, so... I saw some of the foibles and he was instrumental in getting some of the foibles out of my life. Maybe. I don't know. He was having him as a father was pretty special, man. It was, I look back and just, I still just, I miss him every day. It's amazing what his life has done to my life now. I think I've said this to you before trip, but I think since he's passed, I think I know him better. Mm. I'm understanding things a little bit better just in terms of seeing things for what they are. Cause he was so not into this world. No, he, he, really wasn't. he really wasn't. He, and his, you remember his big catchphrase for the last probably 10 years of his life, but certainly the last five intensely was, I don't care. And what he would say is, how was the football game? I don't care. Yeah. He just was totally immersed in what's happening now in his life. Yeah. And <laughs> more heavenly minded, and it, it is so true. It almost was, he couldn't enjoy, I can enjoy certain things that, like we did a two-hour bus ride in London in one of those red buses. First of all, he didn't know it was going to be that long. He wasn't real happy about that. <laughs> but as he watched people along the streets, he ended up almost in a ball of a bird and for the fallen and people. <laughs> it's just uh, He had a heart for people and he had a gift. He, he, he had a gift. You, you, I think what you felt around him was you felt safe. Yeah. He had that gift of making you feel. I would hear stories of him coming driving from a speaking engagement in a car with the driver who didn't even know him. And at the end of the ride, this driver had poured out his entire life to dad. And dad was talking to him about what it means to, to live life like Jesus. It was just amazing. His life was so impacting. And I think the hope that I have and that we can all have is we have, he had the same Holy Spirit that we have in us. Yeah, He just was a willing vessel to move into those things. And he had some gifting too, no question. His gifting, he had a father and a background that formed him in many ways. And one of the advantages of the friendship I had is that had he been my counselor, there are certain things I never would have learned about him. And there are certain sides of his fallenness that I never would have tasted. He wouldn't have gone off on me in a counseling session, probably. But having had him as a friend, yeah, that's we did where he had the stories like we had the shouting walking down a street in Chicago and our wives were behind us. We were just yelling at each other and and and, and uh, anyway, so we we learned grace through each other too. It was it got you knew out. that no matter what you said, nothing was gonna change how you felt about each other. Yeah, and so it, be, it, it took a while because I remember yeah. walking down in Chicago and I remember as we walked in, I said, That's not gonna ruin our relationship. I, at that level is where I realized there was something so solid there that, and we've had many more and other big discussions and discussed along the way, but those become very useful too, in a lot of different ways. Oh yeah. But I do think that I'm um, honest now with your dad and what he puts out there, I really am in, stuck in the second question because to the, I'm really convinced that to the degree we can't answer the second question, you can't do any of the other stuff. And the second question is what globally ultimately is god shooting for when he created man and he and we're in the church and he, and he paid the price to bring us back when we flipped him off and i really think to the degree that we don't have an understanding of god's deepest passion of where he's headed and see this is one of the challenges that P- peter says 
First Peter, he says, put all your hope in the glory that will be revealed when Christ comes back. Yes. Ask somebody to sit down and write a paper on the glory that will be revealed when Christ comes back. Most of us, we wouldn't have much to say. And I'm starting to realize there's a whole lot to say that the mystery revealed, which is also the hope that we're supposed to be stirred by, is supposed to be the key motivating and directing thing. And we're just not. Very few leaders are. And I find it very discouraging because we found a Christian model of a church, of how it works, without seeing the deeper thing. And it keeps us from entering into the battle in each other's lives, where we become allies. You're hitting on so many big points, Tripp. But one of the biggest I think about is the whole notion of the second coming. Is It seems to me that oftentimes churches are so focused on how to make this life work now. And it's you realize that you have very little control of what really is happening. And I guess my question, too, would be, why is it is it through such deep waters and pain and suffering that you really get to know the Lord at a different level? Why does that seem to be the only way in Scripture and now in my own personal experience? And maybe because the only way we can move forward is through brokenness and repentance, and, yeah. which requires something happen that makes us there. It's not something you can turn on. And your dad was very sensitive to his sins and was easily broken. It was aware of the category and made it real. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big part of it. Uh, again, my mind just... How do we keep heaven on the forefront of our mind? But that's you know, been my biggest just... focus, man. And thinking about dad, that's one of the, way, one of the ways that I do is right. thinking about what dad's up to and saying, oh, what's he doing? Who's he talking with? It just makes me think that there's something beyond this that's better, that's way better. It and is. It's so hard to grasp that even as a middle-aged man. But I think it's a continuation of what we're supposed to be about now so that there's not really, we don't have to deal with this now that we can just hope in this. I think they're very connected. And what God is wanting us to be moving towards as believers in local communities, in living in a way so that as we are moving, we're becoming more heaven-like, we're becoming yeah. more Christ-like, we're being where the jump from will be less and less. And here's the deal. It involves awakening our awareness of the hope. He says, put all your hope. If you don't know what it is, you can't live according to something you don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. So it's not just his coming back. It's what is he shooting for? That will be the culmination of what is this hope that's supposed to be driving us? It's all through Ephesians and Colossians, especially are caught my attention these days. And then see, it's the hope of glory. Remember in Ephesians 1, at the end of the three times, he says, to the hope of his glory, the hope of his glory, something like that. And I don't know about you, but when you talk about glory, and this has been up until very recent for me, I know that's good, in it, but it just didn't have much content to it. It's flashy. But as I've come to realize, the glory that he's shooting for is tied to what we are supposedly in the process of becoming. And the very fact that the God's glory, which I've I cheat a little bit, but I really like this. And I think, I don't think I'm far. I know it's not the whole, but I think it's an important core of the word glory because glory is a hard word to understand. Is it flashing lights? Is it intimidation? Is it? Yeah, sure. I think two key aspects of glory are the glory is the Lord's pleasure and his beauty. That's mm. part of it. Yeah. And so he's wanting to see his glory increase. So he wants to see his pleasure increased and his beauty increased. And he's chosen to do it 
through his children. As he sees us transferred more and more to the image, he'll say, oh, I see my son and you kept crab more than I've seen him before. And I love that smell. Oh, it's a foretaste. And I think that we are even supposed to be live in a way where we start getting a foretaste with each other and know how to pull it out. That's called church life. That is what make the crossing the line more exciting, not just so good. We're done with that hard life. But um, and I really I think that's the part we're missing. And it does require the church functioning in a certain way to happen. It's not by magic. Yeah. Uh, and, And that's why Paul says everything I do is towards that goal to see my people become more and more like him, where the beauty of Christ in us becomes more and more manifest and challenges the ugliness of the flesh and knocks it aside more and more. It won't be dead till we cross the line. Um, and that's and when you get to experience your full weight of glory. Yeah, your full weight of glory. And to get excited about it, even this is this, one of the things your dad did and talked about was that having a vision for each other yes. and imagining what Christ might want to be doing in my brother or sister's life. And that involves, if you know their flesh, you're going to say, well, I have to see that put to death some. And, but that's how we become real allies, not just little Christian-y things that we throw around, trust God. or It's a process, and it's in the trenches, but I'm so excited, but then I'm also most broken-hearted because I just have not seen it much anywhere. I know. Yeah. And it goes into counseling sessions, which I'm not against, but the church has something that's so much more complete than what God intended. I'm not against counseling at all. I was counseling for 20, 10 years, I guess, yeah. But anyway, that I think that I really think that the whole idea there's the word, if you read through the New Testament, you'll start. I started discovering that the link between the word inheritance, which is supposed to be a tantalizing word, and hope. And they're the same thing. You see it in First Peter, you see it in Ephesians. But our hope is based on our inheritance. Well, as soon as you think of inheritance, if you don't have any idea what it is, you cannot get excited about it. And it's not just the relief of this horrible burden down here it is that but it's bigger and better than that it's actually becoming more and more right now a person we're still in the process down on the fallen earth and with our flesh the lord can look down and say wow i just got a whiff of my son from kept it i've not getting gotten from anywhere else the beauty of my son and him is starting to eke out already and I think he enjoys that. And see, that's the whole idea that he's, he says that we are like a sweet aroma to him. He's getting, even in our mixed state, even in yes. the middle of the process. And I think, if imagine if we could actually be that for each other, where, yeah, I see your sin, but I know that's not the worst stuff going on in you. And I can call you in. You know what I'm saying? It's, Dad, it's, you said. Real, and it's so rare. It's, it's, but it's so sweet. He used to say when we'd have moments like that, I think we brought the Lord some pleasure today. He just would, and that just makes you think a little differently. And you talk about how he had a father that was someone who who poured into him, the father I had, who poured into me, but he also had a chance to pour into you in a way that was different because you were his peer, his friend. And so you're a treasure trove of stuff. And I just love just getting to chat with you about just these kind of things. But I guess the one question I'd want to ask is, it seems that the race that we're running, and Paul talks about it, it's, it gets harder. And that's why I think that the focus becomes on how do you finish well? And we saw dad finish. We're in the process of producing some more books and we're titling those now the finishing project because we had a chance to see that. 
What scares you the most as you get older? Getting to spend the, the, a month before your dad died, we went out and spent a week. I think it was a month around that. We spent a week with your mom and dad. So I was there the one one of the weeks, and then it kept going down over the next few weeks. But I have to admit, I'd never the radical. Your dad was in a state that I'd never seen him in, almost dead state, dying. And and it was interesting. One of the most other centered things is he really was scrambling to get things so that it would be easier on your mom once he was gone. And that's very other centered. That's, and, you know, and look his lady, Bob. Oh, he he was, about that one. Oh, but he was very reduced, which is your dad was hardly ever reduced in one sense, even with his illness over the years. And so he was having a really hard time looking, finding the, the title of this car he wanted to give to your wife. And, and he just, but he was on the edge, so it didn't bring the best time. I took him out for, we went, always went out for breakfast. Yeah, he loved that. And the interesting story is that when I was there, we'd go out and he still wanted to walk on his own. So I'd get in front of him in case he fell. Yeah. And I guess the week after that, they had him in a walker, either your brother or you. Yeah. And then I guess that it was a wheelchair. And then after that, there were no more re- breakfasts. The week I was there two weeks before he passed and yeah. he was occasionally using a walker but just didn't want to and walking very unsteadily on some neuropic feet. Oh, and I remember picking him up and getting him off the chair and he's, I'm going to fall. And I'm like, no, you're not going to fall. Yeah. But he refused to use the wheelchair. And what one thing we really enjoyed was going to the grocery store because he'd grab the grocery cart and that worked out really well for him. Just go slow, pushing yeah. the grocery cart. We're not in any hurry up and down the rows, getting a few things. And, but he, the real, one of the blessings in respect to dad was I got a chance to see him a few weeks before he passed. I was, the day he died, I was flying out to see him. Wow. And, and I got that call that morning. You may remember when I spoke at the memorial service. But the thing that I still remember is how this guy finished. And I'm so grateful he finished fast. Because he didn't hang on. And it just he was so eager to leave this world. Yeah. And here's the one story that I think is really interesting is the hospice nurse who was working with dad. My brother asked the question of this person and said, you've been around now many people that have been dying and uh, for years. And how many people would you say that have a complete confidence in where they're going when they die? And she said, and this is a sad statement, but she said, your father and one other. Wow. Two people? <laughs> We're talking. <laughs> Two people? Oh my goodness. I don't want to be that. I want to have a confidence that I know I'm going to be with Jesus. Yeah. And that's just, that's just, that's the only thing that would take, make dad start to cry. He would start to weep when he'd say, I'm going to be with Jesus soon. I know. And that was not just religious weirdness. That was something that developed over the years. Nothing in that. And I'm starting now to get a glimpse of what he saw. And it excites me. Yeah. Uh, Where it's something so relational and so tender and something real. Yeah. And anyway, so that's so true. Your dad, and I'm so glad he was on the fast lane. Me too. Me too, bro. They didn't linger. Of course, he chose no. not to linger. He says, cut me off from all the nonsense. Oh, yeah. Shut go. me down. I'm ready to go. Yeah, he was, he, and, and that was, he, he went quickly. The cancer overtook him pretty quickly. Yeah. One thing I'd add too is that I do think that there is a certain sense that it says, as long as we're in these bodies, we groan. We're, that's part of the walk as being half glorified and half fallen down here. But I think, and that, and wanting to, he even says in Second Corinthians four or five, there at five, I think he says we're longing to get into the glorified state. We we can't wait for that to happen. 
But I think there's the other side is that I, that's a legitimate desire. But I think your dad's was more is that he was getting a sweet taste of fellowship with the Lord. Yes. He wanted to enter into it fully. That's a different motivation and they're both good. But that was taking them over and it was fun to see. Really. He had one foot in, in the next life for yeah, sure. It made it almost hard to reach at that point. It was probably a mixture of the sickness and all too. But there, the time we were there was not the time of real good exchanges. But you could just see that the guy was packing his bags and getting close to the door. And it was good. We actually, one thing that's funny, he'd never seen The Chosen. And so we we worked around really big time to find a way to put it on the screen and watched a few things. And he really enjoyed that. Just I bet. Got to see the real story. So there's a few little things that he really enjoyed towards the end of his life. He liked listening to, to Alan Jackson sing old hymns. We'd sing that in the car all the time. I have the two things on my car. too. <laughs> yeah. Kenny was always there, I guess, doing a John Piper podcast he would hear some things and dad enjoyed listening to some of those things occasionally. Yeah. So it was just fun to see this guy finish and to know that we're going to, you're going to get a chance to see him perhaps before me, but yeah. I'm a jealous of you on that for sure. But yeah, me too. Jesus, no. But there's a legacy and there is a, it's not just a, it's very profound. I'm starting to realize to what degree it's profound because I just don't know, see it coming out of very many other people that stand out in the Christian world today. Yeah. I think he's tapping into some of the questions just by making the Trinity, not Eden did it, but jumped on the bandwagon where the Trinity was coming back, which is the big central beginning point. And he did that, but he did go further. He really did. And he, that that's the part that helping us understand how much God wants us to share in the passion of the plan that he created before the creation of the earth that involves us. He wants us to know what it is and get excited about it, but we're not. Trip, something you said at the summit during your time that I had a chance to sit in on that, that stuck with me and it's something I've used now many times, but his dad is no longer living with faith or with hope. <laughs> yeah. All he's living with is love because love is the end of the day. Yeah, Love exactly. conquers all. So, well, bro, I love you, man. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And I want to continue to have these conversations with you. These are the kind of things that I'd love to get a chance just to share with people because you've gotten something that few, if any, have ever had was a chance to sit in and listen to this teaching yeah. over and over again to where it just, like you said, the first time you heard it, it was like, oh, that's clever. And that makes sense. And I'll chew on that for a little bit. And then the second time was like, oh, but by the 50th time, it's, wow, that's life-changing truth. And your life is an example of it. I think my life is an example of it. And so we just want to continue to use you as much as you'll be willing to be used, because what we're doing with Larger Story is, is really what is, again, to use Dad's statement, what does it mean to put Jesus on display by how we relate to everyone we meet, yeah. to our wives, to our friends, to our colleagues, to our just acquaintances that we pass? What does it mean to do that? And that's something that I think is is something that you have a handle in, in, or more of a handle on in respect to where you're at. And I just want to see if we can get as much out of you before you go see dad and Jesus. I appreciate that. And I'm, as long as I'm around and can have anything to say, I'm certainly willing to contribute. There were others that were had the, like Mary Beth and I were together for all that whole first long period, then Kent and Carla, and then what's her name from Texas? I always, Anya and others now, but. Yeah. And the people that came back, some of them, they were had to be wealthy people, but they'd come back on a regular. And I'm sure that helped them along the way, too. Just but to finish helpful. with you, 
here's something that you might here's something you might be interested in just to finish as we wrap up is we captured the video series the cross to the coming where we did 20 20 series of dad basically unpacking all of the seven questions the first course that the first course that that we're developing now with larger story the first course will be the first two questions and we're in the process of, de- of developing that now but here's what we're going to try to do and this was one of the things that I think that dad wanted to do is when we captured that video of all the teaching in that it was designed at one point to be able to continue to do something like the schools of spiritual direction i don't think we'll ever be able to do anything like what you and dad had, had put together put on and i don't think we want to but to take what we do now and what we can offer in this teaching and some facilitation to it and take it to to actual communities instead of you coming to us we'll come to you and now we get a chance just to walk with you guys through this and that's the beginning of the process as we partner with these communities and churches and organizations. Um, and that's really one of our strategic designs of larger story in the next few years, because you hit on it. How do we get a chance to work with the church? And that's where it's got to get back into the churches. That's it. And I think that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm excited by that. And again, just as we wrap up, bro, you and I are going to talk about this a lot because I want to pick your mind as we start to put this together. And what does that look like? And, and it'll, but obviously won't be what the schools of spiritual direction were from a week standpoint, but maybe something a little more condensed and, and then gives people a chance. And what we've also wrestled with is perhaps it's something that, that we do in stages, maybe a weekend, three or four times um, and, and see how that goes. So you get a little chance to absorb some of this stuff as opposed to what you and dad did was really sitting down and drinking from the fire hydrant. And people would leave with these this overwhelmed look in their eyes of what just happened to me this week. Um, but it was powerful because the power of the Holy Spirit is real, man. And I've seen it in your life and I'm seeing it in my life. And I definitely saw it in my dad's life. Trip, thanks for joining me today, bro. Anything you want to say as we get ready to wrap up? Nope. It's a privilege to talk with you. We, I've enjoyed every time we get to talk and I hope we, we continue. It's fun whether we're online or not. So. <laughs> whether anybody can join us or not, it doesn't matter. You and I will continue to talk, my brother. Okay, sounds I love you, Trip. Have a great day. Say hi to Judy for us. Include me. Bye-bye. Thanks, bro. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.